Hello, and welcome to Brave Space for Critical Conversations podcast, where we have short and to the point discussions on challenging topics focusing on race, healthy relationships, and parenting. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories in hopes that others can take away some nugget of wisdom to further the work of becoming socially conscious and take action individually. My name is Kelly Webb, founder and principal consultant at Matching Peace. Special guest, Seth Butler. Seth, tell us about yourself. Kelly, thank you for having me. Um, what an honor to be able to, to dive into some really important topics that we should be engaging with. Uh, so a little bit about myself. I work as the Director of Intercultural Student Services at the University of Finley in Finley, Ohio. Um, my background is in higher ed, so all of my career has been working uh, with faculty, students, and staff in academia. Um, I first started at Colorado State University out in Fort Collins, Colorado, um, the University of Finley and Bowling Green State University. Uh, originally from the Midwest, which is why I, I left the mountainous areas of Colorado to come back to my native hometown. Um, but this is what I do, um, trying to engage people in meaningful conversations about how do we push the envelope and move the needle with race relations um, and identity work. So that's a little bit about myself. Oh, well, you caught me at identity work because that's what I'm studying, right? Racial identity, socialization, and um, interracial communication. So mm. I'm, I'm all with you for that. Um, so <clears throat> give us your take on the development of multicultural competencies. Sure. Um, so I guess, I guess to, be, to be blunt, I, I don't like the word... Um, or the use of the word competencies when it comes to um, developing those skills. I think there are skills that uh, we can develop and refine as it pertains to knowing how to have conversations around uh, multicultural uh, issues. Um, but what I've seen and even experienced to a certain degree is that we use word like competencies. Like I, I can become competent in like mathematical equations. I can know it, check the box. I can do it repeat repeatedly time and time again. And I just don't think that when it comes to issues of um, particularly race relations, multicultural issues, that we can take a formula, a training, a program, a paradigm, and then repeatedly deliver the exact same result because we're not dealing with numbers that never change. Uh, we're dealing with people and intersectionality and personality that impacts the way that we do that. So I, that's kind of like my first views on the development of multicultural competencies. I would like there to be that acknowledgement that we can never, in my opinion, become fully competent and grapple with all of the nuances that exist with this type of work. Thank you. And I completely agree because there's so much within culture that you're never going to be able to just say like, I know this in and out completely. So completely agree. Are there any other terms that you would like that you like more than competency? Yeah. So I like uh, cultural humility personally. Um, when we, when we look at, the word humility and we put the, the prefix of cultural into that it doesn't it, it takes one the burden off of me as the facilitator 
the guide, whatever you want to call me, um, as I'm navigating these conversations to be fully competent or a content expert in the matter. What it does is that it centers the conversation on the identity or the work of those that I'm engaging with. So let's say, for instance, I'm having a, a race-based conversation. I am not a content expert on the history, the socialization, the legal implications, how race has changed its definition over time. I know some of the stuff, but I am not an expert on that content. And that, to me, is what we need more of, is we can say that I'm knowledgeable, but for me personally, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever get to a place where I'll say I'm an expert. Um, I hope to continue my growth and knowledge of these things, but cultural humility is saying I don't know it all, and I am continually learning so that I can expand my knowledge base. Um, in contrast with competencies, which is, oh yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, I'm competent, boom, don't need any more training. And so I would, I would like, that's the word that I push, that's the term that I like to use when we're diving into this work, because then it shows that it's not me talking down to somebody of, oh, well, you ignorant person, because you, how dare you not know the history of this issue and the complexity of it? Um, because we're all on a developmental timeline as we engage with these issues. But the cultural humility piece, if I present that either to an audience or an individual, what that does is says, we're both continuing to learn and grapple with this together. Here's where I am in my understanding. Here's where you are in your understanding. And now let's talk through this, um, through the lens of this issue that we're going to dive into with that baseline understanding that we're both bringing. And hopefully both of us will move along that developmental timeline as a result of that conversation. That's good. I was introduced to the term cultural humility in 2018, actually, and I did a presentation on it. And how you just described it is so much more um, succinct than what I did back then, because I was new to it. And there wasn't much about it in 2018. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you for sharing that, because I completely even forgot about um, talking about cultural humility um, and kind of went, kind of fell back into cultural competency because cultural humility hadn't really caught on in the spaces that I was in. Mm -hmm. um, but I just remember I actually have a PowerPoint still in my Google Slides that I had just pulled up yesterday. So you bringing it up, maybe I need to put that back in my vocabulary. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that was that was a really good explanation of cultural humility and. <clears throat> hopefully people can start using that instead because you're never going to be fully competent in culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just talking to a peer about the term anti-racism mm -hmm. and what does that actually mean and how do we, because it's so broad, right. um, how do we actually say that we're, we're um, like, I don't call myself an expert either. I, I say facilitator or like guide. I, I just try to extract things from people right. so that they can feel empowered. I, I give them knowledge, but then I extract that they have skills and um, I give them resources that they can utilize to become empowered to do the work that they need to do, right? Mm -hmm. So we were talking about anti-racism and how, how are you ever going to fully feel confident saying that you're an expert in anti-racism when it's so broad 
and mm-hmm. anti-racism is not black and white. Right. So I feel the same way about multicultural competencies. It's such a broad term that you're never going to actually be able to say that you are fully competent when there's culture is just complex by itself. So Right. And it's and it's fluid, right? And it's constantly changing. And there are different pieces where let's say you get you you're really confident in one piece, but then you bring in, let's say, um, if you go from black white conversation to talk about not even biracial, but you talk about multiracial. Yep. Right. So yes. my daughter, for instance, uh, so I'm black, my wife is half European, half Korean. And so you look at my, my daughter and I have another one on the way where, you know, there's, there's this, it's not just two at that point either. Right. So there's their Korean heritage, their European heritage, and then you have African American. Um, and so it just gets complex. And so to say yet you're competent in multicultural, uh, complexity, it just only gets more complex. And so another way that I like to try and break it down, particularly for faculty, staff, and students in, in the classroom spaces or, or kind of facilitator spaces is understanding. Like if we use, if we use the term multicultural understanding, because that, that I can get down with because it doesn't assume that I understand everything and it opens, it leaves the door open for further understanding to be gained. So the development of multicultural understanding, we're going to develop our understanding of these issues and the nuances of them. Um, I, I like that as well. Yes, that's, that's very good. So what are some resources you would like to share? So resources. Um, I'm always like, not, not weary when it comes to resources, but, but there's always like this asterisk yellow flag next to every resource, right? Because there's, in the same way that multiculturalism is complex and nuanced and there's there's just so many layers to it every resource there's not a perfect resource there are some resources that i like more than others um and there's overlap with some of the resources so in terms of uh, one of my one of my favorite speakers um facilitators is actually tim wise um who you know an educator and talks on anti-racism um and he's been doing the work for so long and that um, one of the reasons i do like tim wise and listening to him speak either on college campuses or in debate formats or things like that is that i think he does a really good job of um breaking down issues not in just concepts and theories so that people understand the nuances but he does a good job of bringing data in to substantiate the claims that he's making. And I feel like that's really important, um, particularly in, in the day and age that we're in where you have somebody who says, okay, prove to me that this act was racist. And then like we can add concepts to that or maybe understanding to that, but there's actually no empirical research that we can necessarily do for me to get inside the brain of somebody and be like, oh, at this moment, I was thinking, oh, I don't like this, you fill in the blank identity, so I'm going to act on that. And so that um, that evidence-based demand has actually, in my opinion, become problematic in the current landscape because instead of seeking to understand the nuances of how uh, racism and prejudice play into the interactions that take place, 
we forget all of that and say, well, I, no, I'm not going to go there. Prove to me that this was, a, that this existed in this moment. And that becomes really hard because when you start talking about history, like, well, that was, that was back in the past. I want empirical evidence that there's systemic oppression prevalent today. That, that conversation gets really convoluted. So the reason I mentioned Tim Wise is because I think that he does a really good job of bringing in data and statistics that match some of the content that he's bringing to the forefront. Um, so in regards to speakers, I, I really uh, enjoy him. And then there's a documentary. I'll just provide two because, I mean, go on and on about differences and pros and cons. Um, but the other one is actually a, a documentary. It's a three-part documentary series, particularly um, breaking down the issue of race through uh, genetics and science, and science. Like, what does, how has that impacted the conversation of race through social and educational lens? And then the third one is through the political lens. And so it's called Race, the Power of an Illusion. It was done back in, I believe it was 2003. But the first part is all about the construction of race, the history of race, how the definition has changed over time. Part two goes into how it plays out in society. And then part three talks about you know, legal implications, like how does it play out in our justice system and law, like legitimate laws where if you're black and you have one eighth of black in you, you can't marry somebody who, <laughs> who's white. Um, and so um, I think that just does a really good job of providing a solid foundation and baseline of the understanding of the issue. Well, thank you because I'm, I'm familiar with Tim Wise because he was brought to Toledo about four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. or a stand against racism, I believe. Um, well, if it wasn't stand against racism, I believe that the YW helped bring him mm. here um, several years ago. I unfortunately did not get a chance to hear him speak, but I am familiar with him. So thank you for yeah. um, bringing him up again. And I was not familiar with the other resource. So I will look that up and put the link in the podcast description. Sure. So, um, and those are two new resources that um, I don't think I've ever really talked about, so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap up, what would you share, what advice would you give to others um, as it relates to multicultural competencies or, multi uh, or cultural humility? Yeah, um, advice. Uh, again, a tricky area for me because my way of, of navigating the issue is completely different than somebody else's way of navigating the issue. And I don't like to necessarily push like, this is the right way to do it because there's difference in personality and understanding and things like that. Um, but one of, one of the things that I am a huge advocate for is bringing in the concept of intent versus impact, particularly as we situate that in the conversation of multiculturalism. Because oftentimes what comes up um, that I've seen, that I've experienced is these negative impacts that really do come from good intentions, but the person who is uh, causing the offense either um, isn't thinking critically about the impact that they're about to, to cause. That's one, and that's where we hope that they're coming from, that they just haven't thought about it. Or two, which is, in my opinion, the worst one, is laziness. It, is, it, is, it takes much more work for me to wrestle with the thoughts and feelings in my head and try and get that out in a way that I'm considerate of the way that it lands for you 
than it is to be lazy in my thinking and say, okay, no offense, but I'm about to say something really offensive. Um, with all due respect, let me disrespect you with this comment. And to me, that's become a societal, a cultural norm that gives license to cause harm to other people in these conversations. And that's, in, in my opinion, that's laziness. You're too lazy to think about how to deliver the statement in a way that actually doesn't cause harm. And so because you don't want to put in the work and the labor mentally and emotionally, you're taking a shortcut, which actually defeats the productivity of that conversation because people are going to sit with the offense rather than your good intentions in the conversation. And so that's my piece of advice that I try and get people to think about is slow down the conversation, pause, think about what it is that you want to convey. And if you start to say things like, with all due respect, um, no offense, well, I've heard it said before that this, those probably aren't the best you know, intros into a conversation like this where it's rooted with identity work and personal ties to the issue, right? And so if we can be more critical about matching as much as we can, our intent and the impact that we're about to have, I think that really pushes the conversation to a deeper level where change takes place. That's good. And I completely, I actually agree with you. So um, keep sharing that because I think that needs to be heard a lot more because it's something that I talk about as well. So intent versus impact. Um, lately it's been geared towards like microaggressions, mm -hmm. um, but how you, you framed it makes a lot of sense. So just the, the concept of intent versus impact is something that is so huge that people really need to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. But that's all that I have. So I just mm -hmm. really wanna say thank you so much for um, joining me and providing your insight because you had some really good stuff to share. And Brave Space for Critical Conversations is a podcast under the Matching Peace brand. Matching Peace provides equity-centered education, training, and mentoring that focuses on horizontal co-learning with in institutions and between peer and family groups to enrich their overall well-being. You can follow Matching Peace on Facebook and Instagram under the username Matching Peace or subscribe to our newsletter at www.matchingpeace.org.